0: Matthew 16, We want to talk about one of the most glorious subjects I find in the entirety of God's Word, and that is the subject of the church itself. In Matthew 16, 13, we read the scripture, When Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said unto them, But whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say unto thee, That thou art Peter, and upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And I give unto thee the keys of the kingdom of heaven, And whatsoever thou shalt bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatsoever thou shalt loose upon earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then charged he his disciples that they should tell no man that he was Jesus the Christ. For a few minutes I want to talk on the subject entitled, Helping Christ to Build His Church. Helping Christ to Build His Church. We know that the Bible said that Jesus took his disciples to Caesarea Philippi, not to be confused with the Caesarea that was by the Mediterranean Sea. They went up in the top of the the mountains up there to the Caesarea Philippi, the beginning of the place, to the Jordan River, begins a beautiful fortified place, a beautiful scenery with water coming out from underneath the mountain. It's peaceful there. But there was also a place there in the Old Testament where they worshipped Old Testament gods, one by the name the God of Pan, P A N. And there was a place, a big hole in the side of the mountain, and to this day it looks like a cave. And that looking at that cave is the God of Pan they worshiped, and it was there that was known as the gates of hell. So Jesus takes his disciples up to that mountain. And he begins to ask the question, who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? And they say, oh, you're Jeremiah. And they say, you're Elias, one of the prophets. But Jesus looked to Peter, but who do you say that I am? And Peter came to the highest revelation that's known to mankind, and that's this. Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. I believe that's the highest revelation we come to in this world, knowing who he is, knowing the power of his name, the power of his authority, and know that everything that's associated with this man by the name of Jesus. Amen. And yet Jesus looked at him and said, the flesh and blood has not revealed that to you. This came from God. And he said, I say, your name is Peter, and upon this rock I'm going to build my church. And I believe he looked over that big hole in the side of the mountain, that cave, and said the gates of hell itself will not prevail against this church. He was looking at the God of Pan. I do believe at that time and said, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church that I give. Let me tell you something. Those are some pretty words, but who said them? We hear a lot of people today that talk a lot of language and talk some pretty words but they don't have the power or the ability to back up many things in which they say. For instance look at many politicians today. They come up and they make many, many promises they're going to do great and mighty things for us if we'll simply vote for them. More times than not we vote for them and they don't have the power, the ability, or the backbone to back up the things they said they were going to do and we're left with empty promises. Look at the advertisements of the world. The billboards uh, and the TV ads and the radio ads and the magazine ads, it tells you if you drink this, you're going to look like that. If you smoke this, you're going to be like that. If you buy that, you can do this. But they're all lies because it's the hospitals and the morgues that tell us the truth of what the advertisements really don't. And then look, if you will, the devil himself. He comes along and he promises great and mighty things. If you'll eat of this tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you'll be wise just like God. If you'll do this, you'll be happy. If you do that, you'll be successful. If you do this, just follow me. I'll give you the glory. I'll give you the grandeur. Just follow me only to find out that every time his mouth is moving, there's a lie. And yet many times we have to ask ourselves, who are we believing? We've got to understand, brothers and sisters, that Jesus Christ is not just a voice among many voices, but Jesus Christ said, upon this rock, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So we need to understand, who is it that's doing the talking? Who is this God uh, that's doing the talking today? How many times we treat his voice uh, just like a voice in the crowd. People used to say, remember this, when E.F. Hutton speaks, uh, everybody listens, well let me tell you, you when Jesus Christ speaks we all ought to listen and we all ought to obey and we all ought to take his word uh, very very seriously. He is just as God as he is in his word. He said I have magnified my word above my very name. He has never told a lie and he never will. If he said it he'll do it. If he spoke it he'll bring it to pass. He's not a man that he need to lie nor the son of man that he need to repent. I'm going to tell you the God that we trust and the God that we serve and the word he has given, you can bank upon it. And if he said, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell not going to prevail against it, you might as well mark it down in your little black book somewhere. He's coming back for a glorious church that don't have a wrinkle, don't have a spot, don't have a blemish. And thank God we can be part of that glorious church today. The words of Jesus mean something. At the mention of his name demons will flee. At the mention of his name the dead are raised to life. At the mention of his name knees will bow and tongues will confess that he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Why is his name so important? Because he backs up the name with his own word. His word has come forth and nature has been interrupted. A fig tree would die. Uh, His word comes forth and storms will cease. His word comes forth, and demons are cast out. His word comes forth, and the blind can see. The lame can walk. The deaf can hear. And funerals were turned in to resurrection parades because there's authority in his word, in his promise as well. I remind you that he can raise the dead. His word comes forth, and the world came into being. He said, let there be, and there was we preached this morning about Lazarus <laughs> why did Jesus say Lazarus come forth because that he just said come forth all the graves would have opened up why there's power and authority in the name of Jesus Christ the Lord someone said what's in the name in the name of Jesus there is power all things were made by him and nothing was made that was not made by him whatever this planet earth was Uh, After uh, Adam and Eve sinned, I'm here to tell you it was not what God intended it to be. Uh, It was spoiled by Lucifer himself. Pride seemed to be at the center cause of Lucifer's downfall. But when the Holy Spirit moved upon the face of the water, he did so in accordance with a master plan in the mind of God that Satan himself knew nothing about. As a matter of fact, there are some things the Bible said that God reserved to himself uh, and shares only at the right time. Also, uh, Paul and Peter both tell us, it seems clear uh, that even the prophets and the angels, they did not always know uh, the plan of God. But one thing is for sure. When God created this world, he wanted Adam and Eve and mankind to have dominion over this world, uh, to be able to uh, watch over it and to care for it and to live in a utopia upon this planet. But the devil never wanted the child of God to have the promises of the Lord. They never wanted the the child of God uh, to have peace with the Lord. Of uh, The devil never wanted us to live in the utopia that God had. So therefore, if the devil could not dethrone the creator. He began to attack the highest of God's creation, which is you and which is me. In Genesis 3.15 gives us the promise. He said, and I will put into me between thee and the woman, And between thy seed and her seed it shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. The devil still didn't understand the total plan uh, that God had uh, for this world. He worked hard against the plan of God. We understand uh, we see the devil working in Pharaoh as he tried to kill all the baby boys uh, to stop Moses to bring deliverance to Israel. Uh, We see also uh, the devil working uh, in Haman uh, trying to destroy the Jews. Uh, We see the devil working uh, in Bethlehem uh, when all the baby boys two years and younger were, were being killed uh, by the people of that day. But each attack the devil brought upon humanity, God had a counterattack toward him. Remember he made a promise and his promise ultimately will be fulfilled. In all of Satan's plans he could not stop the plan of God. He has delayed it but he'll never be able to stop him. When Jesus stood and announced that I'm going to build a church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it, I believe the devil did a double take he began to look back through the word and said church I don't know anything about a church what's this all about uh, this is something new uh, what's a church all about well he didn't know anything about it because again the Lord had not shown uh, the prophets the Lord had not shown uh, the the at that point what a church was uh, so he said you know what I'm going to do I'm going to kill this guy called Jesus if I just get rid of him uh, we'll be rid of any kind of a church he's talking about uh, so we know the story uh, that Jesus was crucified upon the cross he died for the sins of the world as we all know but one thing the devil didn't realize that when he laid his life down freely he said I'm going to pick it back up again and he took the keys of death and the keys of the grave and he said I'm he was alive and died and behold I am alive forevermore and he led captivity captive and gave good gifts unto men now hang on with me Satan overplayed his hand. Had he known the plan of God he probably would have never had Jesus uh, crucified if he could have stopped it at all. But understand the design of the church uh, did not, was a mystery for centuries and nobody understood it but the apostle Paul did. Uh, The Bible said in Ephesians 3.3, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery. Jesus foretold the church but he did not explain the church. Jesus said the church is coming, but he did not say how the church was going to be formed. Uh, He said there's going to be a church is going to be a mighty uh, thing to reckon with, but he didn't tell us what it was going to look like at all. The devil himself uh, did not know what was going on. He had tried to plan the ruin of Jesus, uh, but Jesus outlived the pallbearers. And finally when he was crucified, the devil was happy with all of that. But then all of a sudden, uh, Jesus didn't stay dead very long at all. He freely laid his life down and picked it back up, and Jesus Jesus died on the cross, was fulfilling the plan, and when he rose from the grave, it began to put in motion the auspices for a church to be formed. Let me tell you, friend, we're not talking about a building made of wood. We're not talking about a building made of block. We're not talking about some man made evidence edifice tonight. We're talking about the church of the firstborn whose names are written down in the Lamb's book of life. I am grateful today that I belong to the church. There's a lot of people today that make a deal with the preacher and they shake a preacher's hand and say well I belong to the church friend you might as well shake a donkey by the tail because it'll get you just as far there's some say well I'll join the church I'll sign my name on the roster and and I, I, I'll be a member of the church so I'm a Christian you can sign your name on every barn door in the country, and you still will split hell wide open. There's others say, well, I'll be baptized in water. All it takes is water baptism. You can be baptized every crawdab in the river knows you by your first name, and you won't do a thing but go down a dry center and come out a wet center. I'm going to tell you, there's a place you can come with God where you repent of your sin, and you say, I'm sorry for what I've done. I need a Savior. You call upon the soon-coming judge to be your present Savior today, and you are born again, and your names are written down in the Lamb's book of life. You belong to the church of the firstborn, praise God. I'm grateful it's not a man-made organization, but we belong to a living organism, and his name is Jesus Christ, the head of the church. Yeah. Somebody said, you assembly God people pretty good folk, but you think the New Jerusalem is in Springfield, Missouri. <laughs> Let me tell you something, friend. I've got enough sense to know that I don't belong to a man-made church. This world's going to be destroyed by fire one day. When that fire falls, every man-made church book's going to be burnt up. But there is the Lamb's Book of Life in the celestial city of God. And if our names are written down in the Lamb's Book of Life, there ain't no fire going to touch it. There ain't no devil going to take it away. And there's no power upon this earth that can cause us to lose our way. I belong to the church of the firstborn whose name is written down in glory. Hallelujah. And I belong to a church that is triumphant and mighty through the power of a living God. Why do we live like we belong to a used-to-be church or a going-to-be church when we belong to the church that Jesus Christ said, upon this rock, I will build? Now, there's a fountain open up for all the peoples of the earth to come and drink. Think about this. When Jesus came out of that grave, and he told the disciples to tarry in the city of Jerusalem until they're being due with power from on high the peoples of the world the Jew the Samaritan and the Gentile now have all have access to the blood of Jesus Christ the Lord Amen. Satan overplayed his hand as a matter of fact in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 in verse 7 and 8 says but we speak the wisdom of God a mystery even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory which none of the princes of this world knew, for if they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory." God is so far ahead of Satan. God is so far ahead of agnostic, atheistic people. God is so ahead of these PhDs that stand for post hole diggers or Pentecostal hairdos of this world. He's so far ahead, my friend, that they don't know what's going on. God has a thousand ways to answer every prayer. Amen. And he said, I want to build my church from the fountain that flowed the blood of Jesus into the wilderness of lost humanity of life, giving stream, and up from it sprang a church of the living God. A church so glorious, a salvation so glorious that even the angels desire to look into it. Uh-huh. Think about that. The angels Surrounded in glory don't understand the ministry of the church. They're looking in to understand how can you love God? How can you have the relationship the way you do? All through the blood of Jesus Christ our Lord. Yes, yeah, Satan thought he got rid of the problems by crucifying Jesus, but that gave him a migraine headache. I don't think Satan really understood what he did to resurrection morning my opinion. I don't think he had a clue. I thought when, when when Jesus died and they put him in that tomb and they rolled that stone over it and they put the seal upon it by the Roman seal, I believe they was having a party in the heyday in hell, in the regions of the darkness somewhere. I believe that the fallen angels, the demons were worshiping saints and men. man, you have defeated God. He died just like a mortal man. He's in the grave just like a mortal man. His spirit and soul been carried down to paradise just like anybody else that was righteous. There he stuck. Uh Uh-uh. No. I believe when Jesus walked into paradise, Abraham's bosom, he looked around and maybe he saw Isaiah and said, Hey, what are you doing here? I'm waiting on the one who will be crucified. He looked a bit further, and he saw Daniel. Who are you waiting for, boy? The fourth one, or the, waiting on the one in the, in the den of lions. He sees Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Who are you waiting on? Ah, oh, the fourth one in the fiery furnace. He walks a bit further. John the Baptist, who are you waiting on? I baptized you. You're the one that comes to judge with fire, and you're the one to pour out your spirit in the latter days. I know you. And to the thief on the cross, they repented, what are you doing down here? You said, if I would trust in you this day, I'd be with you in paradise. And all of a sudden, while the demons of darkness were eating devil food cake and drinking red pop and eating devil ham, Jesus walked over, I do believe. Said Satan, Lucifer, way, way back yonder in the eons of time, You tried to dethrone me. I created you because I loved you, made you the most beautiful creature that the universe has ever seen. But in your pride you got haughty. You exalted yourself above me, you exalted yourself above my throne, you exalted yourself above my will, and you came into condemnation of the devil. And I cast you out of heaven, and you never took me serious. I cast you to this earth. And now if you go way, way back in the beginning when you tempted Adam and Eve and they sinned, remember that? Or oh, you thought you won. But I said then, you will bruise my heel, but I am here to sever your head. Amen. And he took the keys of death in the grave. Amen. And he said, I am he that was alive and I died. But behold, I am. Did you get that? I am. I I am, I am, I am, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And the Bible lets me know that he led captivity captive, which means that when a Christian dies today, no longer goes to paradise, no longer goes to Abraham's bosom, but to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Oh, amen. Satan overstepped his bounds during that time. Jesus had already begun to build his church. Listen to what Jesus said again to Peter. Upon this rock, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. Let's wear this down just a little bit. I, Jesus declared, it was he who would build the church. Thank God this don't belong to me. It doesn't belong to you. It belongs to him. He is the king, he is the Lord, we are his subordinates, he is the father, we are the children, uh, he is the shepherd, we are the sheep, uh, he is uh, the potter, and we are the clay, and thank God he is the door, and we walk through to him to receive everything we need to live godly in Christ Jesus the Lord. I belong to him. Amen. He is building the church. A lot of folk try to tell us that the church was built on Peter. Why? You don't build something on a fragment of a rock. You build something on a stone that cannot move. Upon this rock, not Peter, but on the foundation of Jesus Christ the Lord. Jesus is your foundation, and we serve an immovable stone. Now, friend, I want to tell you something this church. There are times I stand on the rock of my salvation and I tremble. I get frightened. I get scared. Anybody else out there like that? Let's be human. But the rock upon which I'm standing is not moving. (laughs) We all saw this past week about that condo down somewhere in Florida. Collapsed. Many reasons behind it. Friend, I'm here to tell you, we get some scary sticky places as Christians. But I read the last page of the book, and we win. You ever read detective stories? I hated them. But always, sometimes, even on TV, you start out the plot, and 30 minutes, it it can't happen. And 30 minutes later, everybody's just happy. And sometimes life's like that. We think, how's it going to work out? But friend, we read the last page of the book, we're going to win. Why? We belong to the church that belongs to him. And he has a good batting average, if you will. He's able to keep that which we commit to him. And if you and I will commit ourselves to him, he's not in the habit of losing things. Now, we can walk away from him, and we can backslide, we can do what we want, but he's building a church. I belong to him, and he's the one that's doing the building. Notice he said, will, I will. The verb will denotes promise, purpose, affirm, intention. Jesus was not saying futuristic, I shall build my church, He said, I will build my church. Which means it's in the work of process even now. Thank God every day souls are being added to the kingdom of God. The early church went about with the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And the Bible said, and the Lord added daily of those that should be saved. The only way the Lord can add daily is if we are witnessing daily and winning people to the Lord daily. I pray God help us to do that. Last time I was over in Africa... Just a couple of years ago, I was supposed to go this past year, but couldn't do it because of the pandemic. And we're riding down through the main road, and we go on the main dirt road, then we go on the dirt road, and then we go on God only knows what. But Assembly of God churches, wherever you go, and they scratch your head and said, "Oh, we didn't, we had that one." <laughs> People are accepting the Lord like you will not believe in the dark continent because there's a hunger. He said, I will build my church. Jesus has never known a defeat. And he never will. He spoke the world's into existence, and he will hold us in spite of it all. I remember years ago talking to a lady. She was blind, husband and wife. My dad and I delivered a picnic table to them. And while we were there, we helped them set the table up. They couldn't see, but the woman could type. She had learned to type and learned to use Braille and all that. And she wrote the check out to to the person to whom we delivered it for many, many years ago. And we started talking about about the things of the Lord. And she looked at me real snarly. What church do you belong to? Made her mad. I belong to the church of the firstborn whose names are written in heaven. She wanted to talk denomination. She wanted to fight denomination. She wanted to defend her faith and defend this. Let me tell you something, friends. Jesus did not die for a denomination or an abomination. He's not building that. He's building a church. There's no big eyes and no small U's. We don't have to be twins to be brothers. And I think it's time that we come together as the body of Christ and quit fighting each other. Amen. Now hear me. When it comes to ecumenicity, I'll tell you what I believe about it. I cannot fellowship with those that mess with the atonement of Jesus Christ. I can't, me- I can't fellowship with those that mess with the deity of Jesus Christ. I cannot fellowship with those that say the blood of Jesus Christ can't forgive for sin. But now if you want to go through the tribulation, I can fellowship with you. If you want to say once saved, always saved, I can fellowship with you. We don't have to be twins to be brothers. We need to keep our denominational borders around us, I think. But let the hedges down far enough that we can reach across... And join with each other, love each other, pray with each other, support each other. Are you with me? Amen. And I believe he said I, uh, the church is not about denomination. There's too much competition among denomination. Jesus didn't die for denomination. Right. I remember years ago, Mark Lowry was in a con- Remember Mark Lowry? He's a nut. At least he's hooked up to the right bolt, though, right? But Mark Lowry was in a concert, and you know how he does. He comes out and said, Oh, how many Baptists here? Yay. How many Methodists? Yay. Presbyterian. I mean, it went on and on. He went through a litany about 12 different, 12, 13 different denominations. He said, Isn't it wonderful? We're all under this great big canopy in this great big auditorium of all different denominations, just loving the Lord, worshiping the Lord, and just think, somebody's wrong. (laughs) And that's true, somebody's wrong. It's not about denomination. Friends, it's not going to be the assemblies of God that wins the world. It's going to be the God of the assemblies. And I'm thankful that Jesus is building his church, of which I'm grateful to be part of the assemblies of God. But friends, when the assemblies of God is gone, the church of heaven is still going to be there. Jesus said, I will build. When Jesus used the transitive verb build, he indicated He meant to develop the church in a systematic way. No one builds a building without a blueprint. With that being said, Jesus gave the church a mandate to win the world, but he never gave a method as to how to be done. You know why? Methods come and methods go, but the message stays the same. Again, I refer to Africa. The first time I went to Africa... Kim, you were there that trip. We went to Africa together, Brother Shelton's daughter. We went to Africa. You remember this? Over in Lomi, Togo, they built buildings. I don't know how they stood up. Had it not been for termites holding hands, those babies would have fallen down. I don't know how they stood. There is no type of building code whatsoever. But people are on the second, third floor, and they're still standing. It wouldn't float here. We went to Barbados. Some of us in this room went to Barbados on a mission street. Remember that, Jeff? And the building goes down there, we're crazy. And we said, how these buildings saw, But they build according to what they're custom. By the same token, in every culture, every people group has their method of proclaiming the gospel and building the church. There's not necessarily a wrong way and a right way, it's just always different. Yes. And what I pray here, God give us the blueprint for a new life assembly of God as to how we are to build this church For your glory and for your honor, to reach as many people as we can, to disciple as many as we can, and to be able to see as many people saved as we possibly can for the glory of God. I will build my. When he uses the adjective pronoun my, he relates the church to Jesus Christ. Again, he leaves no doubt as to whose church it really is. People grumble well, the church is not what it used to be. We're losing power we're losing authority, we're losing members, yada, yada, yada. Man-made churches are, denominations are, but the church of the firstborn are not. Amen. Not. You want me to tell you why? God has always been in the remnant business. And he is going to have a remnant of the people that has not bowed the knee to the world, to the flesh, for the devil. Not a perfect people, but a forgiven people who love the Lord. He's always been in the remnant business. And he simply said, it's my church. The true church has not lost out with God. Hear me again, I'm preaching to the choir. There's a church within the church, you know that. Always been that way. There's those that profess to know the Lord, but in reality they wouldn't know Jesus if they bumped to him on the parking lot outside the building. There's a church within the church. But there is also the true church that is not compromised, that is totally in love with Jesus Christ, living for him and serving him in a way that's worthy of his name. And you see, it's like wheat and chaff together. The Bible says you don't separate, you let him separate it. So there's the church within the church. And that's what scares me today, because there's a professing church that has no power. A professing church that has a religion they use, but no true knowledge of God whom they can serve. And you've heard me say this many times, I'll say it again. In this day and age in which we live, there's people that have created a God in their image, and their image, that the God that they've created in their mind excuses their sins, excuses their shortcomings, but in the day of trouble, oh, how I love Jesus. That is a professing church, but not a real church. But he has a real church, and he's not coming back for gutter saints, but for glorious saints. When I was up in Virginia the other day visiting with Mom, we went out to a store. I sat in the parking. lot. Well, first of all, I had the handicap thing for the, my mom and dad had. So I whirled around to go in handicap handicapped guy, a spot, and this guy, beep, beep. So I backed up and said, you want this? Yes. And he got out like he was all upset. I said, hey, no problem. So I found a, a closer place to park, and he came by, and he said, you found a better place to park, didn't you? I said, sure did. I said, hey, I'm sorry. I didn't know you wanted that one. I, we got here about the same time. You're more, more than welcome to have it." We began to chat. And come to find out, he said that uh, he had just moved to that area from out west. And he was engaged to this woman. And he was probably in his 50s, looked like he was going on 85. I'm serious. The guy was haggard looking. Sin had done its toll on this guy. And he simply said, I'm living with this woman. I don't know if we'll ever get married, but we're living together. So I started talking to him about the Lord. And he said, every night in my life, I ask God to forgive me how does that work? How would it work in your marriage? How would it work in your marriage if you went home every night to your wife, say, honey, I committed adultery on you today. Forgive me. Okay. Next night, hey, honey, forgive me. I committed adultery on you today. Forgive me. How long do you think your wife or your spouse are going to put up with that? Well, then why would God There comes a time, friends, where we must make up our mind. If we're in the church or the firstborn whose names are written in heaven, we get rid of sin. We don't practice sin. And today people have created this image of God in their mind that lets them get away with their sin. We tolerate sin. And if we we say anything against it, well, we're a bunch of homophobes and we're people that that, that are just not up with it today and we're just not cool and, and, and we're just not with it. Our God don't judge people like it. Let me tell you something. The Bible don't judge us. The Bible tells us how to live. Amen. And if we don't live according to what the book tells us and fall out of love with sin and fall in love with Jesus, we're going to be judged by the one who gave us the book. And for him that knoweth to do good and does not do it to him, that is what? It's a sin. And there's no way around that. Right. I've got to hurry. I will, build a, I will build my church. The church is his body here on earth. The church is his bride in heaven. What Jesus Christ did in his earthly body on this earth, he now has anointed the church to do through the mystical body. I want this to sink in. We know this, church. We know this. The works that I do shall you do, and greater works shall I do, because I go to my Father which is in heaven. What are some of the greater works that we should be doing? Well, people say, well, that means we reach more people than Jesus reached. We travel further than Jesus traveled. We have more technology. And all that is true. But he also said, the works did I do. What works did he do? He preached. He taught. He was always a teacher, a sometimes preacher. He healed the sick. He cast out the devils. He cleansed the lepers. That power, that authority was there. We don't work for it. We accept it. And he said, the power of the Holy Spirit in, in, in Luke 24, 49, tear ye in the city of Jerusalem until you be endued with power from on high. We don't need the power just to shake. We don't need the power of God just to speak in tongues. We don't need the power of God just to manifest inside the building. We need the power and the authority of God to do the works that Jesus Christ did. Amen. I'm going to ask you to challenge you something. Show me in the, in the book of Acts... Where the disciples ever knelt down and say, God, heal this man. Or Lord, in the name of Jesus, would you let this touch come? I don't see that. I see them being so prayed up and seeing them being so full of the power of God, they walked up and said, silver and gold, I don't have what I have given you. Get up and and walk. Now, we're afraid to do that today, partly because we don't have the goods, maybe. And partly because we think, well, maybe it might be a little egotistical or prideful. But I wonder, I'm asking, I'm just talking out loud. I wonder sometimes if we've not messed up asking God to do for us what he's already commanded us to do. Does that make sense? These signs shall follow them that believe. They will speak with new tongues. They will cast out devils. They will raise the dead. They will heal the sick. We got it backwards today. We raise the devil, cast out the sick, and bury the dead. I'm not trying to be funny. It's just what we do. We've allowed culture to change us, rather than us as a church, changing culture. There's a lot of cancel culture going on today. I think we as a church better come out of the closet and say, God, you're building your church right here in me, the kingdom of God in me, which is the hope of glory. Let me do more than cancel culture. Let me change culture for the glory of God. After his resurrection, he said, As my Father has sent me, even so send I you. He said earlier, Verily, verily, I say unto you, The works that I do shall you do. Greater works shall you do, because I go to my Father. And then he said, I'm going to close. I'm trying to skip around here. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will build my church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The power of hell cannot prevail against the church because he said it. I am he that liveth and was dead, and behold, I'm alive forevermore. And throughout the book of Acts, hell came against the church again and again and again. Persecution, trickery, deception you name it they outthunk it, they outsmarted it, they overpowered it, and God had a church that was victorious. To the point that when people said, Here comes those Christians that turn the world upside down. Amen. They took knowledge that those Christians had been with the Lord Jesus Christ of glory. Today, all around the world, evangelism is taking place. All around the world, churches are being built upon the person of Jesus Christ the Lord. He said, I will build my church. I'm grateful to be part of that church today, a vital part. And friends, enjoy your relationship with Jesus. Enjoy the time with him. Allow him to empower us and, if you will, impregnate us with his power and his glory. Now, friends, Satan did not lose power when Jesus rose from the grave. He was as powerful after the resurrection as he was before the resurrection. One difference Jesus gave us authority Amen. he gave us authority Amen. and I'm afraid we don't often use the authority that the Lord gives unto us have you ever seen a police officer on the side of the road somewhere I mean he's a Barney 5 sitting up there <laughs> trying to blow the whistle and here comes an 18-wheeler and he goes now that 18-wheeler can run over that bad boy and would not leave a greasy spot But why does he stop? Well, one thing, he respects life, I'm sure. But he sees that badge, which represents someone bigger than him with more authority. That badge doesn't represent the cop. It represents the people that put the cop in office. A lot of people. And when he does this, he has authority. He has authority. No power. He don't have the power to stop it, but he has authority to stop it. By the same token, the Lord has given us power and authority over the enemy of our soul in order that we might live and be a victorious church. What a glorious church it is. Honor the Lord of the church. He said, I will build my church and the gates of hell shall not prevail again.